Welcome to the Enlighten Up podcast. I'm Lisa Watson and will be joined by my co-host Nicole Frolic and Brian Koenigberg. The Enlighten Up podcast is a weekly show that provides an unconventional and refreshing spin on spirituality, where three friends and weekly guests share informative, fun, and usually off-the-wall conversations. Unlike others, we provide fringe and skeptical viewpoints on all topics, because our experience has taught us that the echo chamber is a boring place from which to learn. So regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, we can promise you, you're going to find a place to fit in here. So we invite you to grab a drink and listen in on our casual, entertaining, and hopefully enlightening conversation. And Enlighten Up is a self-funded podcast. So if you would like to help us to continue to be able to produce, enhance, and expand the show for our audience, then please send your support using the link in the show notes or go to our website, lightenup.us, and check out our merchandise shop where you can purchase merchandise that will allow you to express some spiritual humor. You may also show your support by leaving us a review on iTunes and following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thank you all so much for listening and supporting us. And now let's jump right into the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Enlighten Up. I am here with Lisa, and we are without our beloved Brian today. He is not able to join us, but we are planning on making this an all-girls show because we are joined today by Nancy Byrne, the author of Choices, which is a cutting-edge book that brings empowering choices back to your life. In this book, Nancy helps readers to transcend the limits of common thought, remember who they are, and choose to be that person again. She guides readers in listening to their inner guidance rather than the mindless chatter of everyone around them. And she has a deep respect for all life and is devoted to empowering others. Nancy, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, and I'm delighted to be on this show. (laughs) Well, we're delighted to have you here with us. Welcome. (laughs) Uh, When did your your book has um, won? Hasn't it won an award? It was um, the uh, best-selling book of the new releases when it came out. Oh, well, congratulations on that. What year did uh, the book come out? It was in um, 215, I believe. Oh, wow. That's great. And what um, what inspired you to write that book, Choices? Because I love the title. You know, I didn't really write the book. I have to say it was totally written by spirit. It was kind of like somebody was dictating to me. I just woke up one morning and and I just heard this, you know, and I don't know if it was in my it was didn't sound like it was in my physical ears. It kind of sounded like rushing water or something. But Spirit said that um, he wanted me to write a book. And I said, no one would want to read anything that I have to write about. And Spirit said, Nancy, your life's experiences could help many. There are so many out there that are all alone in the world, and they think they're the only ones going through this, and your book would really help them. So you need to write the book. And I got up and went outside and sat under my cottonwood tree. I had two Doberman at the time. I used to raise bees in Colorado, and I had four cats. And um, it just, the book, I just wrote it in about two and a half weeks, all except one chapter. And that's kind of, you know, another story. But when I brought it in, my husband, um, Phil, was reading through it. Um, He said, my God. This is really profound. You write a lot better than you speak. (laughs) 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 But uh, it does have some anecdotes and, and, you know, examples of things I have gone through and life's experiences because I think 
that our story is really all we have to share with each other. What's worked for us, what hasn't worked for us, and maybe somebody will get something from it. I don't really feel that we're here to tell people this one way is the only way, you know, to enlightenment or to better yourself. It's just, we all have our own different flavor, just like you know, I actually like vanilla ice cream and everybody thinks it's crazy. Why would you go for vanilla when you can have death by chocolate and all this other stuff? But sometimes what works for one person may not work for another person. Some people may not like certain things that I like or certain things that may work for me won't work for other people because, you know, we're all, well, we're all alike and we're all connected. We're all a little bit different. Well, yes. But, um, everyone's journey is very individual and how we experience things is also very individual. What was the beginning of your journey with spirit like? Well, um, as a kid, I, um, I was born into a, well, a very dysfunctional family. Um, my dad um, physically and sexually abused me ever since I can remember, basically. Um, and um, so I guess I was kind of depressed. I, I don't, you know, I, I didn't really know I was depressed because I thought everybody was that way. But I, um, one day he had gone into town, well, he, he was an alcoholic too. So he went into town and had gone to the, you know, bar and um, I snuck out of the house and went over to the Catholic church, which was just across the street from his catacorner, and I walked in, and um, it was totally dark except for two penance candles someone had lit on the altar, and um, so I went, walked up to the very front pew, and I knelt down, and I was just begging God to please, please let me die, and my rationale was that there are so many people that want to live and, you know, they die. And I wanted to die and I was still alive. So why couldn't he let somebody else live that wanted to live and please let me die? I just, I just didn't want to live this way anymore. And um, I felt a hand on my shoulder and I thought, oh, great. It's a Catholic priest. He's going to take me home and tell them that, I was in the church and they're going to know I snuck out and I'm going to get beat up again. And I looked around and there was no one there. And um, for some reason, you know, being a kid, I, I thought maybe somebody was, I, I got, I knelt on the, down on the bench and looked behind me to see if anyone was there and nobody was there. And when I turned around and looked back at the altar, it was just a glow. It was just, everyone talks about white light, but this was the most beautiful, soft, soothing, golden light. It just, it, it like permeated my whole body. It just, I felt so at peace and, and I knew that I was loved by a force much greater than my mother or father, much greater than any human being. And I felt so ashamed that I had been given this wonderful gift of life. And I was throwing it back in spirit's face because it was too hard. And I, I left the church and I ran back home. And um, it's not like, you know, things changed dramatically. The beatings continued. Everything pretty much was the same. But I just knew that I was loved. And if 
Almighty God loves you. It doesn't matter if mere mortals love you or not. You know, it was just. Wow. So I think that that, you know, is what just, I guess, gave me the hope and the courage and the determination to move on with my life. It sounds like that experience, like that glow, it was almost like you said, it permeated you and stayed within you as a gift to give you the strength to endure what you had to endure as a child. I guess so, because I, you know, sometimes, well, my husband and I were talking, I was on another show one time and it was about rape victims. And um, so many of these people feel hopeless and that they're all alone in the world and that, you know, while other people have been given good, happy lives, they were singled out to be miserable and, and they, they've never had normal lives and they're victims the rest of their lives. And it just, it really bothered my heart to hear them say this because if you think you're a victim and for all intensive purposes, you are a victim, people are going to treat you like a victim. You'll be re-victimized all the time. Mm-hmm. And I do think that we all need to reach out sometime and and go to, you know, maybe group support or, or see a therapist or do something. But the bottom line is all you have is you and spirit. And um, you just have to have the will to, to do it because I've worked with people that have gone to group support and they've been reviolated by the person that led the group. Oh, so, no. oh wow. I, you know, it's just, and I'm just, I'm so happy that I, I think I'm about as normal as I can be. I don't really want to be really normal, but. <laughs> but That's um, overrated. It's boring too. <laughs> but, you know, I don't really feel that. I guess I look at it, I feel like our souls knew the lessons we needed to learn before we came, even were born into this earth. And that I, I think I picked my family because I had some. Even my astrological chart said that I needed to be born into a minefield because I had some lessons to learn. I I had never been self-sufficient in any of my previous lives. You know, I was always the wise man sitting on the mountain and people would bring me food and clothes and, and I would give them answers. And I never really worked. I never lived in the real world. And this is my first experience in the real world. And it's been one heck of a ride. You picked a doozy. I know. Wow. <laughs> wow. But I'm grateful for everything. Honestly and truly, I am grateful. I wouldn't want to go through lots of these experiences again, and I wouldn't wish them on anybody else. But I am really grateful for the experiences because every experience you go through forms you and makes you who you are and I am who I am today because of my experiences I'm not any better than anybody else and I'm not any worse than anybody else but I I just really want to help the world because I know how hard it can be well I know that you um when I was visiting your website that one of the things you help people do which I think is a very common need amongst people who are waking up and becoming more tuned into these spiritual realms and their connection to spirit is how to communicate with spirit and hear spirit and allow 
basically spirit to be your guidance and not all of the outside influences, which I think becomes an important lesson for many to learn along this path. I know it's one that I've been definitely learning over the last year. How do you uh, how do you assist people in that? Like, where do you start? You know, I think the best advice that I can give anybody is just to get out of your way and let the you know, just let the process happen. If if you ask spirit to be there for you, it's going to happen. And sometimes we, we, I am so impatient. I want everything yesterday. And I want it to be exactly the way I want it to be. I want it to play out exactly the way I think it should happen because it's my life. Obviously, I know the best way. Well, I don't. Spirit knows just a little bit more than I do. And I think that we have to just be open and um, for me I'm really mental I am my mind just I analyze I overanalyze I just so for me to be precognizant is crazy because all of a sudden you just know things how could that possibly happen you know it used to drive me crazy for a while and I was wondering if I was making all this stuff up but I'd give a reading and I was spot on so it's kind of like when you have a best friend you talk to that best friend. You tell them when you're up. You tell them when you're down. You call them about silly little things. Oh, I just thought of something. It doesn't make any sense, but I wanted to share it with you. Or, what do you think about this? Or, you know, since it's a girl's day, you know, what dress do you think I should wear to go to the movies tonight? Or, you know, uh, just little things. You include them in everything, all walks of your life. They know your deepest secrets. And... If you had a best friend and the only time you called about that called upon that friend was when you were stuck on the side of the road and you needed somebody to pick you up and take you home or you slipped off a cliff could they just please come and help you and you know then that wouldn't be a very good best friend you wouldn't be being a very good best friend that kind you know spirit wants to be a best friend to us and wants us to include him, her, God, God in every single aspect of our lives. Wants us to trust and to open up and to allow him in our lives. And also, I think it's not only also about asking for things or when you get into trouble. It's also about being so grateful. You know, I live on Whidbey Island and every day I sit outside and I say, oh, God, thank you for moving me here. I was so terrified to move here because I was terrified of water. And I am so grateful that I overcame that fear and moved here. And I think you just have to just let go and trust. That's been my greatest lesson. And know that if you ask spirit a question, you're going to get the answer. If you need help, ask and he shall receive. Honest and truly, it works. I think we need to spend some time alone. And lots of people don't like to meditate. They can't get the hang of it. But, you know, you could walk, go for a walk by yourself. Being in nature is what really, oh, I just, I love being in nature. It, I feel like it's a holy place, all of, all of the world, but nature especially. It feels like I'm communing with God in nature. I can just, I'm not listening to other people. I'm not around a bunch of people. So that seems to work for me. Some people actually like to meditate and sometimes I do meditate and I don't feel like 
We get so caught up in details. I mean, I have gone to classes that tell you that you have to meditate a certain way. You have to shut your eyes. You have to fold, cross your legs. You have to cross. I don't meditate that way. I just sit down, usually outside, and ask spirit to just tell me whatever it is I need to know for that day or just talk to me and I listen. Sometimes I shut my eyes and sometimes I don't. But it's always a really profound experience and I come away feeling calmer and have more energy to get through the day. If I don't spend time every day with spirit, oh my God, my days are a hectic mess. I can't remember what I'm supposed to be doing. I just walk around kind of aimlessly. And I think we need to take that time, just five minutes, 10 minutes. You know, we've been given 24 hours a day for every day of our lives. For as old as we are, I don't think that 10 minutes is too much to ask to give back to spirit. And when you think about that spirit is the best friend you could ever have. I mean, why wouldn't you want to almighty, you know, on your side to be your best friend. I mean, I if I could only have one best friend, I'm going with the top dog, you know. So it's just a matter of carving a little time out of your day to spend. Sometimes our, we don't let our minds rest. That's why um, there was a place since I was born and raised in the Catholic Church, I went to Bible college, and I um, there's a place that talks about when you're asleep is the only time your mind is quiet enough and God can come and talk to you. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes if you just write a question down and put it under your pillow, you know, with the intent that you know that that answer question is going to be answered, you'll listen to something on the radio. You'll overhear a conversation. You'll just see a street sign that speaks up to you or a billboard or something. But you will get the answer if you ask and you expect to get an answer, you will get it. I can promise you that. When did you first realize that you had some some sort of spiritual gifts or, or this connection with, with spirit? Well, I think I've always known things about people that, you know, they didn't tell me and they didn't know how I could have known stuff, you know, when I was counseling sometimes. Um, I just knew stuff and I would sometimes just see something and then it would happen. I was married once before and, you know, I, that was my identity. We have certain identities. We think, you know, we're a wife, a, a daughter, a, you know, a secretary, a therapist, a nurse, and that's our identity. Everything we do is based on that identity. Well, I was a wife and I, I was a mom. And I've always wanted, because I didn't really have a family, you know, I mean, a good family. I, I've always, a family has always been the most important thing in my life to me. And so um, my husband wasn't interested in really having a family and being married. He kind of wanted to go off on his Harley and, you know, <laughs> um, enjoy life. And so we ended up getting a divorce. And I, it was really hard. I mean, I think it was harder for me than living at home with my parents because I felt like like an old shoe that had just been discarded. And, you know, my dad always told me that no one would ever love me. And I was just the ugly duckling and the black sheep and the black widow. And so I thought, gosh, maybe he was right. You know, my husband, whom I really loved, didn't love me. And it was tough. And it was just, it was a really bad time in my life. And 
Um, it was spring in Colorado, and we get some kind of severe storms, you know, in spring. We, um, we even used to get tornadoes there. And I lived in Elizabeth out in the country. And I was in the kitchen and kind of feeling sorry for myself. And I was really feeling sorry for myself. And um, <laughs> there was a big storm. It was, it was, oh, thundering and it was lightning and the wind was just howling. And I felt like that just exemplified my life. I mean, it was just one storm after another. And, um, and then there was this big crash. I heard this big crash and I thought, Oh, what else can go wrong? And I was upstairs, and I it doesn't make sense, but I went downstairs to the, our walkout basement to see if the roof had collapsed, you know. And I walked out, and um, there was this smashed trampoline. And let me back up to, like, three weeks before. Three weeks before, we had some new neighbors that had moved in, and they had two adorable little girls about probably two two and a half and maybe five years old and that one weekend their dad had put up a trampoline for them and they were so excited they were I mean they were running around crazy they were carrying the poles and carrying you know tools to help their daddy put up the trampoline and the dad was cementing those poles in I mean he was putting them in cement because of the fierce winds we used to get especially in the country the mom had I guess made a cake she had brought a cake out anyway and they were having lemonade and it was a, the whole day was a big celebration because of this trampoline now three weeks later here I was looking at this smashed trampoline and it was beyond repair and I was thinking Oh, those poor little girls are going to be so disappointed. And I walked upstairs. And I was thinking, you know, life just sucks sometimes. And movement caught the corner of my, I saw movement out of the corner of my eye. And I looked out the window and there were the little girls outside. The little one had on underpants and that is it. No top, no shoes. The older one had on a little tank top and some shorts, but no shoes. And they were picking up the metal pieces of their trampoline in a lightning storm. And I thought, oh my God, they're gonna get killed. So I called the home number and there was no answer. And I thought, oh God, I'm just nervous. I must have redialed and I called again and there was no answer. So I jumped in the car. I didn't even think to take a jacket or anything, you know, so I wasn't thinking just like the little girls were, I guess. And I got out of the car and, you know, I'm an adult and they're children. And so I said, what are you two doing outside? Well, the little one didn't take kindly to my approach. She put her hand on her little hip and she didn't say anything. But the message was, you're not our mommy. You don't tell us what to do. <laughs> so I backtracked, you know, and I said, I said, where's your mommy? I asked the big one. And she said, oh, she's visiting Connie. She'll be home again pretty soon. And I said, you could be hurt out here in this in this thunderstorm. I said, please get in the house and don't come out until your mommy gets back. And the little girl's crying, the little one. And she's like, our daddy going to be so sad. We have to help our daddy. And I said, listen, if you get in the house, I promise I will pick up all the metal pieces for you. I will pick them all up and I will put them on the side of your house and stack them up so your daddy can, ha can find them. Okay. But just please get in the house and 
and don't come out until your mommy gets home, okay? And the big one shook her head. Yes, I think she was really relieved. She was pulling the little one in the house. So I picked up all the pieces. I mean, I must have been out there for 45 minutes picking up these pieces and stacking them up against the side of the house. I even picked up a few lug nuts, you know, so that they wouldn't come out again. And I went back home, put my car in the garage, went and changed my clothes, and I was headed back into the kitchen to get open up a can of chicken, Campbell's chicken noodle soup to warm me up. And all of a sudden, it started hailing. And within a matter of just, it seemed like seconds, we had almost six inches of golf-sized hailstones on our back deck. And I looked outside, and there were the two little girls again. I mean, they were walking around like they were searching for things that I might have missed. I, don't, I, I really think I picked up everything, but they had some stuff in their hands. And I thought, oh, my God, they're going to be killed. And without even thinking, I screamed as loud as I could. And I pointed my hand and my finger. I just screamed, I command you to stop this storm now. And the storm stopped instantly. And then I was, do, 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 do. <laughs> it's just a coincidence. It'll start up again any minute. And it didn't. And then I'm like, I respectfully thank you for stopping this storm. I'm thinking I'm going to be turned into a charcoal briquette. Who am I to command the hand of God? And Spirit spoke to me and said, you are the hand of God, Nancy. You are all the hand of God. I need you more, much more than you need me. I am just a spirit. People can't see me with their physical eyes. They can't touch me with their physical hands. They can't hear me with their physical ears. You don't even listen to each other, much less a spirit. You are in flesh and blood bodies. I can't wipe the tears from a child's face, but you can do that and that and so much more. If I were to build an or uh, orphanage in the middle of the desert in one day, it would thought that it was an evil spirit or a, you know some sort of an evil being, and it would be torn down. But if a human being in a flesh and blood body are to build the same orphanage, it would stand. You're all here. I need you to help each other kind of walk each other home. And I just, I, I just felt, God, what an honor, what an honor that my life was worth something. No matter what, I had a purpose and we all have a purpose. We all are needed. We're ambassadors of God. We're vessels of God. You know, we say that spirit lives within us. Obviously, if spirit lives within us, we are spirit. When I was in Bible college, you know, nobody talks about the verse that all these things that I do and more shall ye do. do. You know, when spirit was changing wine and the bread and the fishes and they were multiplying and everything. And his spoken word, by the spoken word, I have been told... I'm fascinated with the word abracadabra because it means I create as I speak. And I think that we, I believe that that's what we do. We really do create our own destinies. And 
I just wish that I could get people to understand that if, if people could just absorb that in their soul, then I fulfilled my purpose because we are miracles. We always are looking for that magic peel. We're looking for the, the miracle to come. We are the miracle. We are miracles. I mean, what other machine, you know, works and works and works and works for 50, 60, 70, 80. I mean, people have lived to be 120. I, and sometimes we have problems and need a little help, but we don't have to wind our hearts. We don't have to, you know, put a note to tell our lungs when to breathe and when to stop breathing. Our mind keeps working. We keep seeing. I mean, there's no engine on the face of the earth as amazing as our bodies. We are. So true. It's easy to take that for granted and forget that we're one of the wonders of the world. Exactly. If not the most wonderful. That's true. That's true. I, I read a verse one time by Kristen Tippett, and she she has all these famous quotes and, and readings from other people that great masters have written. It says something about we marvel at the heights of the mountains the majesty of the roaring water, the depths of the sea, and we pass ourselves unnoticed, and we are the greatest miracle of all. I added that last part, but we are. You know, but we don't notice who we are. We just, we spend so much time, I have spent so much of my life berating myself and chastising myself. How can I be so stupid? I can't believe I did this. Oh, my God. You know, da-da-da. I just... If we would spend as much time trying to empower and uplift and help other people and encouraging other people, you know, on ourselves, you know, we'd be happy campers because we are perfect. We're not, we make mistakes. We're learning lessons. That's what life is about. It's learning lessons. It's kind of like, um, you know, when you go to school, you can't even, you can't even go, you know, to grade school until you've gone or in preschool and all the different schools they have now that I didn't have to put up with. But, you know, until you can feed yourself, you can drink your own water and have lunch on your own. No one has to feed you. And until you can go to the bathroom on your own. I mean, those are the basic requirements. And then from there, you know, you get to go to school and socialize and be around other people. And when you're in school, you don't just take one class. It's not just one lesson. You know, there's all kinds of classes you take, you know, English, math, history, whatever it is. And each class is not compartmentalized. You learn different things and different aspects of each part of the class. And that's the way life is. We're always learning. Our story is unfolding every single day. Our story is not over until we transition you know we're writing our own story we're all authors of our own stories why not write the best-selling the most fantastic book anyone's ever read you've got it it's all you're doing the work you're the creator and and you're the and you're the project you're the creation well i think that you know you the, the message that came from spirit to you that day in the kitchen and when you commanded the hailstorm to stop is an important message that, you know, that in my opinion, 
religion, um, it's one of the most unfortunate aspects of religion is that they leave that part out and they create this idea of separation from God uh, or whoever the the top deity is that you um, that your religion um, speaks to is the is, has the authority has the authority of over you and it's it's really unfortunate because I you know I grew up Catholic. And there were many teachings within the Catholic Church um, that I did not agree with because they were mostly fear-based. Um, but I do recognize, though, that there are many good things that do come out of religion as well. But whenever I try to speak to any of my friends who are Christians or devoted Catholics, anything like that, and I try to let them know that they are god and, the, and it's that idea of like, if you come from spirit, then you must be spirit. You can't be created from it and be separate from it at the same time. It just, it's impossible. And it's yeah. just so ingrained in the psyche from religion that that's not possible and that you're somehow less than. And this idea of creating separation of ourselves that we are less than feeds exactly what you were trying to overcome of you know, who am I to tell a great story? Who am I that anyone would want to listen to? You know, what good could possibly come out of me? I, you know, this constant berating of ourselves, putting ourselves down. It's this idea of not being able to rise to the occasion uh, and fulfill all of what, you know, God's wishes, God's will is because you are. You are that. And I think that's one of the greatest lies told to us to keep us suppressed and not connected to creator, the very thing that we come from. I think that's one of the greatest lies told to us. It's like you said, Nancy, it's one of the things that they sort of skip over in religion, you know, in the Bible about Jesus saying that you can do everything that I've done and more. Exactly. And, you know, I was laughing because I was thinking, Oh my God! I'm not the only one who's going to be who's going to go to hell, you know, because I've been. Going <laughs> <up>. <laughs> We're all going together. Party, <laughs> you know, but I, yeah, I know, and that that's sad. My ex-husband and I were elders in a dancing in spirit, speaking in tongues, you know, being slain in spirit, and it was beautiful. But human beings get. Um, they get a little power hungry sometimes, and it's fear-based. I think that religion is based on fear. You have to give your tithes, and I think that we tithe to each other too more than God certainly does not need our money. And I know, but religion, but churches need it to, you know, to keep the building open. And I think if you're, you know, like if you go to see the, a movie, you pay, but. Um, you know, it's not like you give your tithes and then you give love offerings and, and the more that you um, give, the more blessings you get. No, that's not the way it works. And to me, God is not some person that sits there on a throne and looks down with, you know, disgust upon us and who judgment will and then punishes us when we decide to use it and it's not what you know why were we given free will we were given free will well, I feel that we can do anything we want to do good bad evil ugly I think that the way to live a good life though is to 
as long as you don't, you're not deliberately, you're not intentionally trying to hurt another person, you know, and do what's best for you. And usually that's what's best for everybody else because we're all connected. If I were to punch somebody in the face, I'm basically punching myself in the face. I mean, it's just, we're all connected. Yeah. what we do to one, we do to another. I just, and I, and spirit has really told us that and spirit doesn't, you know, I really have been blessed and people say that I've been given a lot of gifts and I have, and I'm very, very grateful, but you know, spirit doesn't give gifts to an elite few. We are all given gifts. Spirit loves us all equally, all unconditionally. And I know when I was at the, um, I was at the Louise Hey, I Can Do It conference in Denver when my book came out, and I got to listen to all these um, authors, you know, uh, free of charge and everything, because my book was the number one bestseller. So people would come up when I was autographing the book, and they just, it was like, I don't want to, I was so grateful. People stood in line for over an hour to get copies of the book, and they, and they, they ran out. But people would come up, and they'd want to touch my hand, or, Oh, you wrote a book. Oh, I could never write a book. I I don't have the education. I don't, no one is better than anyone else. You don't have to have an education to write a book. I didn't even write the book. You know, I could have written it in grade school if spirit would have wanted me to write it. Spirit put the words into my, you know, on the pages for me, basically. You have everything you need. You don't have to be president of a corporation. You don't have to be beautiful. You don't have to have a wonderful personality. You are you. We all have our own flavor. And wouldn't it be a boring life if we were all robots and all the same, you know? It's so easy to diminish your own gifts, though, and focus on what everyone else has that's better than you, and then that keeps us small. You know, and then you just say, well, I don't have anything to offer. That's true. Then you don't have to try. I mean, if you don't have to try, then you don't have to fail. Because, you know, yeah, we're losers anyway, so we might as well just give up. But I had read a book one time. It was really funny because this lady is talking about And she also lives on Whidbey Island, but she was talking about, you know, she walks, sometimes she's walking through the woods and she physically sees spirits or angels. And I walk through the woods and I don't see anything. And I was like, how come she gets to see angels and I don't get to see anything? How come she was given that gift? Spirit said, Nancy, you stopped a lightning storm. What else do you want? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're not satisfied with what we have and we're given miracles every day and things happen every day and it's like we have amnesia we forget and the next yes. day it's like, oh we go back to square one you know i'm not special i don't see spirits you know i don't you know i don't hear voices you know audibly and and it's just crazy i mean we always want what somebody else has or what we don't have we think that the gifts are better they're not better they're you're given exactly what you need what works for you. Well, I think that's a common pitfall that so many people get stuck in when they're opening up to their gifts. And, you know, many people, including myself, uh, just always believe that it's they're not able to tap into those gifts or they don't have them available to them. And 
there are so many times if you were to really pay attention and probably write down in a book or a journal of all of the things that were amazing little miracles that happened either because of you or around you or, you know, just by you being present, I think many people would be amazed at how many times spirit has spoken to them without them acknowledging it. Yeah, I think so too. I Well, I, I do automatic writings, and so I have this book. It's like, God, I can barely pick it up now. Um, it's with all the writings. And just even, I've only been here three years, but when you look back, I think it's it's really a good idea if you could write things down or journal or whatever and, and just look back and see how far you've come because, you know, you take two steps forward and maybe you take three steps back and then you take two steps forward and you take one back. Maybe you take three steps forward and someday you don't take any back. But if you look at the progression, I mean, I am a totally different person than I was three years ago. I was so fear-based. I was terrified of everything. I mean, I was afraid of my own shadow. Honestly, it it pretty much crippled me. And as a child, my dad had tried to drown me. So, you know, I could still, I can still remember too, you know, trying to breathe and you don't get air, you get water and, and the panic, you know, that you feel. And it it was in Rocky Ford and it was, you know, in the lake and Dias Lake. And it was just, it was, um, Hobrook Lake, and it was just really muddy, and and I couldn't see anything, and you're trying to grab for something, and there's nothing there. When I wrote the book, I was seeing a massage therapist, and she said, uh, Nancy, she said, Matt and I have a vacation home on Whidbey Island. Why don't you and and Phil come and stay with us for a week, and I'll have a book signing for you. And I was like, oh, yay, a book signing, you know. Gosh, I know somebody that wants to have a book signing for me. And so I went home and I told Phil, and he's you know, he's really well traveled. I'm I'm not well traveled at all. And he said I, I I've been to Seattle, but I never have been to Whidbey Island. It would be a first for both of us, you know, because every place we go, he's already been there. So he said we have the time, and so he booked tickets. And I didn't even hear the word island. I don't know how I could not have how I could have missed that. I was so caught up on the book signing. Three days before it was time for us to come, you know, to leave, Michelle called and she said, Nancy, I'm really sorry, but I can't have a book signing for you. She said, Matt's getting transferred. We have to put our house in Parker up for sale and, you know, I've got to get it ready to put it on the market. She said so, but I love your energy. I just love your energy and I want it in my house. Just, we don't have to be there. Come and get the key. I'll give you the combination code and go enjoy. It's just beautiful. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) she's not going to be there. And I didn't feel, you know, comfortable being in somebody's house without them. What if, I don't know, plumbing, something happened, you know, and I I just, I wanted to cancel the whole thing. And I, I told Phil that, you know, we, why don't we just go walking up in the woods or, or, you know, go to Silverthorne or something like that. He said, Nancy, the plane tickets are non-refundable. So we came, and I, I, don't, I don't know what I was thinking about. I'd never thought about having to get on a ferry to get on Whidbey Island. When Phil was driving to the ferry, I mean, it's this huge boat, and they put semis on it. I mean, huge semis and, and double 
trailer trucks, you know, carrying supplies and stuff because that's how you get products to the island. And I panic. I almost had a full blown panic attack. I think my fingernail marks are still in the leather poster of that car. I was like, no, no, honey, please, please, let's drive. I, I can't get on that boat. And Phil said, Nancy, this is, it's an island. This is the only way on the island. And I was like, Phil, no, I can't get on that boat. And he said, we don't have reservations any place. It's tourist season. We probably can't even find a place to stay in Seattle. He said, it's only a 20-minute ferry ride. And I'm thinking, yeah. And it probably only took 20 minutes for the Titanic to sink, too. Oh, geez. <laughs> but, you know, I'm thinking, you know, God brought me here to face my greatest fear. I'm going to drown in this ocean. A shark's going to come up and eat me and drag me and leave my pieces. I mean, it was just the things your mind does. I mean, the things that we, the places we go to, the, I mean, we do these horrible things to ourselves. We got off the ferry, and I was shaking. And I just we, we stayed. I stayed at Michelle's and on her outside deck most of the time. There were two little deer down down below the house, and they she had a little stream. She had a kind of an outdoor sanctuary, and they'd come and drink the water. Phil would bring home pizza and Mexican food and different stuff. But I just want I all I could think about was getting on that darn boat and getting back home. I didn't want to get on that boat again, and if I ruined the whole trip because I was focused on getting on the boat on my fear. And when we got home, boy, I was upset with spirit. I wrote another automatic writing and I said, you're almighty God, you know, everything. Why did you have Michelle invite me, you know, to go to her house for a book signing when you knew she wasn't going to have the book signing, you tricked me. And spirit wrote back and said, I had Michelle invite you to go to Whidbey Island because you're going to be moving there. And I want you to move by the end of the summer. And I thought, oh, me, I'm not that crazy. You know, I'm not moving. I'm staying in Colorado the rest of my life. And I showed it to Phil and he just, I said, I don't know how I could have been so wrong. I'm always spot on. And we decided I was just traumatized by, you know, being on the boat and all this stuff. And I, I wrote it off. Then I started having dreams about Whidbey Island. I didn't even think I had noticed how beautiful it was. I mean, there's like all these different shades of green. The trees aren't just a green. There's like light green and and dark, dark hunter green. And then there's almost even like a, a golden green. And it just, the, the, all the greens, it's like, that's why they call Seattle Emerald City. And I, I had this one dream where I was underneath the water, underneath the ocean, swimming along the ocean floor. And it was beautiful. It was like a an aquarium, you know, I could see the coral and I could see all life, all the life that lives under the water. There were little snails and there was everything. And I had a blowfish swimming beside me on my left side. And there was a great white shark on my right side. And I could breathe underwater. And it was like, I am connected to all life, not just the air, not just the mountains, not just the earth, but the water too. We're all connected to everything. All life matters. And I just, it was just, it was the most serene. It was kind of like the experience in the church, you know? It was just, just like permeated me. And so I wrote another letter and I said, I don't know how I could have been so wrong, but I know you wouldn't want me to move to Whidbey Island. But I, but I wrote, you know, I, I must have been traumatized that you wanted me to move there. And Spirit said, you weren't wrong, Nancy. As usual, you were spot on. 
Nancy, you still need to learn to let go and to trust. And you will flourish on that island. And our book will flourish too. And I want you to be there by the end of the summer. Well, it was already like June or when we'd come. And so I showed Phil the writing and he said, I'm not moving. He said, how can we leave all this, Nancy? I mean, we've got four and a half acres and we've planted, you know, you've planted every tree yourself and the animals love it here. Whenever Phil doesn't want to do anything, he always tells me how much the animals love it, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Tug on the heartstrings. And uh, I said, well, Phil, I'm learning to listen to God and not to man and I'm going. And he said, what? You would leave without me? And I said, yes, I would. And I don't know how I would have done it because you know, I'm fear-based. I would have been scared to do everything. But it all played out. My little grandson came and helped us pack and drove my car and Phil rented an RV so we could all, the animals and us could all be together and they wouldn't be scared, you know, because cats get accustomed to homes, not, you know, they like their home. They don't like to move. And I am so grateful to be here. And everything that I am the most grateful for has been the hardest for me to do. I just want to point that out you know and i'm so great you faced your fear well that that i think is speaks more volumes than i think many people understand when they hear that that when you face your biggest fears you have the most gratitude and you feel the most it's not even so much about the accomplishment but you there's a certain there's definitely a level of empowerment that comes in and then there's there's just so much joy on the other side of fear. There's so much joy there. And it's those challenges that we overcome that really mean the most. And there's there's definitely something to that that I don't think many people fully understand until they experience it. Yeah, I think so too. I'm curious because that is a major fear for anyone to overcome, especially with the trauma of your father trying to drown you. Are you, is your father still alive? No. And he crossed over, I think about four years ago. And did you ever reconcile your relationship with him? No, no. um, My father was very, very, very bitter with me because my mom finally, after being married for 50 years, left him. And, um, you know, she didn't have an education and she didn't, I mean, she had, he didn't want to give her any of his social security or anything. And, and I, we were afraid he was going to kill her. And I went back to Rocky Ford to go to court with her. And I wrote, I wrote about everything that he, you know, that he had done. I mean, you know, walking into the bedroom and finding her on the floor and him kicking her and, you know, the police come and don't do anything, you know, and it was just, about you know the abuse you know that he to me and everything and and the rape and he um he just he was really bitter about that in fact my mom had hurt her um leg they had there was a, a bridge in, in rocky ford and it collapsed they they hit a, a semi it was a one-way bridge and a semi they were already on the bridge and the semi came and they hit and the bridge collapsed and so my mom always had a shorter leg and she had this uh, reclining chair that she needed. So after the divorce, I had a pol- the chief of police meet me at the house. And I, we just wanted to get that, um, that chair. And dad was arguing about 
oh, there was a doily on the chair that mom couldn't take. It was his doily. And so I gave it to him. And then I did, they were, they would spend all day arguing. So I grabbed the chair and was hauling it out of the house and trying to get it in the car. And dad came up to me. He said, you're sick, Nancy. He said, you're a sick woman. The things you're saying. And I said, who's sicker, dad? Me for saying them or you for doing them? And he shut his fist and he was going to hit me. I was hoping, I honestly was hoping he would hit me and end up going to jail because the police were watching. They couldn't say that he, he didn't hit me, but the chief of police jumped right in between us and pushed him away. And that's the last I ever saw of him. Wow. You know, I think it's it's a tough journey, um, especially when you're... Uh, going through the trauma that a parent has uh, inflicted upon you, how do you move beyond that? How do you move, how do you, like you said, not let the victim story be your story and empower yourself to rewrite your story for the one that really represents who you are in your power? How did you, how, what, like, what did you use to move through that and move past it and beyond it into a different, I, I mean, a different energy, a different timeline, one that really honored you? Well, you know, like I said, I believe that we chose the families that we were born into and everything. What if I had lessons to learn? And, you know, the only way I could learn them was going through hell and back. And what if my dad, you know, we were, because we've all been connected in different lives. What if I wanted him, you know, to be my father and to do this stuff to me and he didn't want to, but it was the only way I could grow and I needed someone to play out this role with me. And what if he loved me so much that he agreed to do it? I mean, my earthly father did not love me at all. He really wanted me dead. He tried three times to kill me, but our souls are different. What if my mother played the role of a subservient woman that didn't even protect her own children? Um, it just, I, I don't know everything. Only, you know, we're all connected, but I think there's a source that we belong to. And and maybe I'm Pollyannish by thinking that, but you know, it works for me. No, yeah, I think- I love it. Yeah. It's something that I've definitely been looking at. You know, you try to look at everything from so many different perspectives because there's so many infinite possibilities, reasons for all of that. And when we look at, even if you just really zoom out and look at the whole bigger picture of everything, you can look at, say, global evil versus global good. And, you know, I've often thought, like, what if in this lifetime, I signed up to be the person who experiences and works through the duality side of the good and someone else agreed to work through the other side of duality and take on all of that burden because that is quite a burden to carry as the uh, the perpetrator in, in so many uh, regards. We don't, it's like you said, we don't know why everything is the way it is and it's i <laughs> nothing is as simple as you know nothing is as simple as sometimes we look at things and at the same time they're not as complex either it's just this it's it's very interesting 
I think I've been thinking lately that, you know, this thought keeps running through my mind. I, I'm sure I saw it somewhere on some Instagram or Facebook or something, but that we're a spiritual yeah. being in a physical body. And I just, I keep reminding myself of that. And it just goes hand in hand with, with what you said. It's like having this dis- different perspective on your life. Like I set this all up so I could have this experience. There's no one to blame. You know, I can't, you can't blame your father or your mother or anybody. You chose these experiences to learn something. And I think if we allow ourselves to view it from that perspective, detach ourselves from the ego, wow, like there's so many gifts there for us to recognize when we're willing to shift our perspective. Yeah, I think so. And I, you know, I, I believe that what we can't see actually is more real than what we can see. You know, we look through our eyes like we've got blinders on. We're in this like certain dimension and there's other dimensions out there. I mean, we believe we're the only true planet that has life. We believe we're the only true, you know, we have to belong to the only true church. We have to belong to the, the greatest country on the in the world. We have to, everybody else is inferior. Somehow we always have to be the best, you know, for having inferiority complexes and and not having a lot of confidence. We always want to be the best. And I think that there's so much more out there. I mean, you don't see electricity either, but you stick your key in a a socket and you're going to feel electricity. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many things that we don't see with our physical eyes. We need to start looking more and more with our spiritual eyes you know these bodies aren't going to be here forever but we will be we will always be we're immortal and we're just we need our and we need to take care of our bodies while we're here too because they're the vehicle that we use to walk and talk and communicate with each other but we're not our bodies i don't i really believe that i i have to just say though Wow, to you. (laughs) What an incredibly strong woman you are. And I just want to give you kudos for, I mean, just taking the life that you've had and and getting out of that victim role and and being able to face your fears and look at things in a different way. It's it truly is incredible because, you know, although you chose this role and, and all of that is is all well and good, but at the same time, you are here in a physical body, and you did experience those things as a child with amnesia, and and you came out ahead, and and a lot of people can't say that. So, I just oh, want to say, thank great you job. so much. But I also want to say that you know, I, I'm really just trying to tell my story and talk to people. I have relapses where I go visit that swamp. You know, I just don't stay there as long anymore. <laughs> I hear you, right? So, um, I mean, I think when somebody is down and out and everything, sometimes you just have to go back. And, you know, when you come back and join your life now, it's like, oh, I'm glad I don't live there anymore. God, I'm so grateful. You know, sometimes we do have to be reminded of of the things that we've had, because when you look at what you've got now, it is so much better, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a journey. I mean, I experienced that myself as, as well. And you know, coming in and out of stuff like Nicole and I joke sometimes when we're (laughs) feeling just great and vibing really high. And I'm like, oh, I just I feel so great 
today. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's what I'm going to focus on. I don't know how long this is going to last or, and it doesn't matter. We're just going to relish in this right now. And um, it's definitely a journey. And, and it's true that as you face those shadows and, and those fears and you become stronger, I'll call them like the episodes become shorter. Yeah. And not only that, but there's one thing, you know, I've been reading this book called The Gene Keys. And one of the things that we learn or that's taught is that all of our shadow experiences move a lot quicker when we embrace them as opposed to resist them. And so when we're in these low moments where, you know, you can call it the swamp, visiting the swamp or, or whatever it is, uh, that if you realize that you're there for a reason to embrace it because there's more to learn, there's more to be uncovered, there's more to become aware of, that you can actually move through that a lot faster as opposed to wishing you weren't there anymore and back in a joyous state. The way to the joyous state is, like you said, getting through it, swimming through it. And I think that has actually helped me understand that when I'm in these like low low frequency, lower vibe experiences that can sometimes become quite all consuming if we allow it to, is that you try, is, is that I, at least me personally, I try to embrace it and, and, and see why, why am I here, you know, or what's the reason, or even just feel it and allow it to myself just to be there, just allow the experience to happen and knowing that it's all part of it. Lately, I've been asking myself too, like what, I feel like I'm being shown a clue, you know, when certain things sort of like maybe overwhelm me or trigger me. And I ask myself, oh, okay, this is like, this is another clue into another like shadow that I might have that I can work through. And it actually starts to almost get a little exciting, you know, like, oh, what's being brought to the forefront for me now? Yeah, because you don't take it from the emotional perspective. You take it from the observer perspective. And that right, creates it right. into a game. <laughs> Step outside of yourself, look back. And, you know, I've discovered some triggers recently about myself. And, and you can't discover them unless you're willing to detach from them a little bit and say, okay, these are the things that keep happening you know, and they're not happening to me, they're happening for me so that I can recognize something that I need to move through. It's just, it's all in perspective. Yeah. And I, I was on the show the other day and I was doing this thing on astrology and there's this thing about Scorpios. They just, it says that they're only sign that will like just break through the gates of hell. They tread where angels fear to tread, but everyone's you know, people are so afraid of dying and everything. And the people that are most afraid of dying are the people that have never lived. And it's said that Scorpios, they have that ability to make friends with death and say, okay, now that I've cut through the BS, I know that my mortal body is not going to live forever. What would it benefit me to let go of and go on with my life from now and have a better life than I've been having? And, you know, they, they, they just talk face to face with death and get the answers. And we're always running. We're afraid of the Grim Reaper. When we first moved here, we had some armoires and stuff, some antiques and stuff. that We have some sheds where we put them in because we have a little house here. It's not big like our house in Colorado. And lots of the stuff got messed up. So... 
I have this armoire that has a lot of sentimental value to me, and I wanted to put it in. We have a guest cabin. Put it in the cabin. And we didn't know anybody. We didn't know how we were going to get it in. You know, there's we've heard there weren't a lot of services on the island. And so my husband brought it down, got the dolly, and brought it down the stairs of the storage area and said if I could lift it and put it on his back he thought he could carry it up the stairs into the cabin well it's about 300 pounds I couldn't lift it so I got up on top and and he lifted it onto my back and I carried it into the cabin and so you know I've always been really strong and I just do stuff like that you know and capable but so the next morning I woke up and I was paralyzed from the waist up I mean, I literally could not move my hands, turn my head, my neck, anything. I was so scared. And I was having muscle spasms. And every time my muscle would spasm, which was like every few seconds, it was so, the pain was excruciating. So Phil took me to the hospital. And I didn't know the trick. You're supposed to, they ask you the level of pain, 1 to 10. You say 10, and they get you in first. Well, I always want to be strong. And I said, 3. So I waited and waited and waited. (laughs) But I sat next to this little old lady, and she was talking to her son, and she was getting ready to go into hospice. She was in a wheelchair, and she was, it means it was her last, she was on, on her way to die, and she wanted to share with her son. And he's looking at his watch, and he's not paying attention. He just keeps looking at his watch and looking out the window and looking at his watch. And she's trying to talk to him, and he won't pay attention. And she was telling him that she has so many regrets, you know. And I needed to be there and listen to that lady at the time. She was telling him that she always had, was so fear-based. And she didn't take advantage of going and sticking her toes in the water because she was always afraid she was going to get caught by the tides that come in sometimes and, and drown, you know. And, and she didn't drive that much because she was always afraid she was going to get in a wreck. And, and now she couldn't even drive herself to go get an ice cream cone or anything. And she just had so many regrets about her life. And I was sitting there going, oh, God, I could barely breathe. And then I started crying. And people thought I was crying because of the pain. And they got me in. But the sad thing is that her son wasn't even paying attention to her. And he was telling her that his wife was going to come and take her to the hospice, that they had taken a few of her most favorite possessions, that they were selling all the rest of the stuff, that they'd get a really good price for the house, and that he would try to take time off from work to come and visit her every now and then. She wasn't going to be alive much longer. And it just seemed to me so sad that that lady just had so many regrets about her life. I don't want to have a lot of regrets about my life. If people think I'm stupid or I imagine things in my head or whatever, I don't care. It's my life. I want to live it. And I just hope that all the listeners will do the same. Just enjoy your life. It's short. Make the most out of it. Make good memories. You know, don't have a lot of regrets that you can't do anything about after the fact. Have good memories. Just make every day the best you can possibly make it because you never get that day back, ever. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And I think for all of our listeners, if there's a path you're walking and you're not happy, then find another path. And if you can't find another path, then just carve one out for yourself. Just start following your heart, doing things that you really love things that even scare you because there's definitely an element of of following some of your fears to find some of your greatest joys as well. And don't be afraid to carve out your own path. Don't be afraid to be different than everyone else because at the end of the day, 
like Nancy has told us, you're, you're, the things that most people talk about on their deathbed are the things that they regret. And those are the things you'll wish that you had done. And this is definitely an experience that we've all come down to live and, and have and learn from. And there's not a lot of experience in playing it safe or like you said, making your choices from fear. And I think that's a, you know, that's one, Nancy, I'm so glad that you brought that up because one of the things that I often use to determine whether when I have to make a choice about something is, is this choice based in fears or is this choice going to represent my greatest hopes and desires? And it's really helped me live a life that I don't have regrets of and has left me with many fulfilling experiences. And I think that that when it comes to being presented with another option or being presented with a path that you're not sure about, or maybe you're, maybe you're on a path that you just are not having a lot of fulfillment in, staying on that, the best question that I find that you can ask yourself is, if I stay on this path, is that a, that choice reflecting my fears or is it reflecting my greatest hopes and desires? And I, I just think it's a great way to kind of navigate life and getting the most out of it. I really like that. That's a great idea. That's a great way to balance or, you know, to make a decision, I think. Yeah. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for being on the show. We really enjoyed having you on here. And thank you so much for opening up and sharing a lot of uh, painful experiences. I could feel that it was definitely difficult to express and talk about. And so thank you so much for sharing that because I know that there are people in our audience who have likely experienced similar things. And it's always helpful to hear someone's story that is reflective of your own and know that they've, they've come out a survivor. Thank you for having me on the show. It's been a delight. I have really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. You are a delight. <laughs> Nancy, if our audience would like to get in contact with you or they want to find out more information about you, where can they do that? Best ways to get on my website, which is choices-nlb.com. I'm all about choices. Choices-dash, not a hyphen, but just a dash, nlb.com. And it's got all about me. It's got videos. It has most of the shows I've been on. And lots of people can't afford readings and still they would like a little bit of guidance and everything. So I'm also starting a page on my web page. It's kind of a question and answer. And people can just write in questions about anything. It doesn't have to be spiritual, but I really like the spiritual questions. And I would just, every two weeks, I will pick two questions that I think reach the most people or questions that lots of people have and uh, write answers to them. It, it just be a, a place where people can come and at least get some, some free information because I know there's times when I couldn't afford to get a reading. <laughs> yeah, that'll be really helpful. Well, thank you so much for being on our show. It was such a pleasure to have you here. And it was a pleasure being on your show, too. Again, I really did enjoy talking to the two of you. I'm sorry that, that Brian couldn't have been here, but we got to eat the whole cake for ourselves. Yes, we exactly. did. <laughs> Brian's gluten-free, so he wouldn't have been able to have our cake anyways. <laughs> Thanks so much, Nancy. And to our audience, uh, all the information to reach out to Nancy will be in our show notes. And for our audience, a little new, uh, new tidbit to share with you is that we've moved our podcast over to Anchor FM. They have a podcast app that you can listen to our show in if you'd like. 
But even more importantly is that there is a button now that allows you to send us direct messages or even leave us a voicemail that we could play on the show if you have any questions or stories that you'd like to share with us and have them come on the air. So uh, head on over to Anchor FM and uh, look up the podcast episode. I think Lisa will leave it in the show notes. And uh, there there's a button there that is very easily accessible. So uh, to our audience, if you're interested in having your voice play on the air and uh, let everyone else hear you and what you have to share or questions you have to ask, then we would love to have that on the show and, and hear from you. Thanks again, everyone. We will be back with you again next week. Have lots of love and light and joy in your life. Talk to you all soon. Thank you all for joining our show. We appreciate you tuning in and supporting us. If any of you have any questions you would like answered on the show or any guests that you would like to hear on our show, please email that information to us at info at enlightenup.us or send us a voice message using the Anchor app. There's a super cool feature on there that allows you to send us a message or ask us a question with a touch of a button right from the app. And please continue to support us by following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And if you haven't checked out Nicole's channel on YouTube yet, head on over there for some more insight from her, or you can visit her website, inflexibleme.com, where you can book a personal coaching session or a tarot reading, watch some of her most informative videos, or you can sign up for her newsletter. And if you're interested in some light language healing, head to my YouTube channel, Lisa Loves Love, or send me an email to lisa at lisaloveslove.com to inquire about your own personal reading. Thank you again for joining us and supporting us, and we'll be back with you all next week.